Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be back. It's good to see, as Ken said, church filling in a little bit, and um, hopefully that will just happen more and more. But it's great to be back. Many of you may know that uh, Janice and I had the opportunity to go to Florida uh, for a little over a week. We had a wonderful time with our grandkids and our daughter and our son-in-law. Just a wonderful, wonderful time. Then Janice came back, and I went on to Orlando to uh, attend the yearly Grace Partnership Conference. And this year, the theme was Community, the Gospel on Display. And it was a wonderful theme. We worked our way through Ephesians. Just so great to be worshiping together. And as so often the case, a big part of the encouragement and blessing of that conference wasn't even the teaching or the worship. It was the, the fellowship and the connecting with different people and it was great to see a number of our international brothers and sisters were able to attend uh, a large contingency from Colombia, from Bolivia, from Haiti, um, different uh, from Ukraine. Um, so the, the, the people from the Netherlands were not able to make it in person, but if you go online to gracepartnership.net you can actually see Ab preach the Saturday morning's message. So it was just outstanding. I had an opportunity to spend some time with two brothers from Columbia. That, this was their first year coming to this conference, and so it was just great. One was a young pastor. The other was a young man who's on his way to becoming a pastor, and just great to be able to, to fellowship with them. I want to share one quick story that really touched my heart uh, before we jump into the message. Um, they had lunch at the church on Friday afternoon, and after lunch, before the next session started, I had my, I needed my coffee fix. You know what I'm talking about? I needed my coffee fix, so I said, guys, I'm going to Starbucks. Anybody want to come with me? And so a couple of the guys hopped in the car, one from Minnesota, young man from Minnesota, and one from Metro Life right there in Florida. And we're driving along, and we're talking, and, and the, this, this young man from Minnesota shared something that, like, hit my ear about his daughter's health. And I said, is everything okay with your daughter? And he began to share with me that she, she's about five years old and she has tremendous health struggles. She uh, is not able even to sit up on her own. I, I forget what it was um, that she has. Uh, her mind is clear, but she's not able to verbalize, so they very rarely hear her speak even a word. And... Um, as he just shared this, and yet um, the the love, the 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 sense of how they're just they're just trusting God and working and loving and caring, and it was just really it touched my heart, and it it made me realize if we had stopped at lunch, I would just and I'd already met him from a previous conference. I would have just you known him as a, a great young man from Minnesota who loves Jesus and is active for the Lord. But spending a little more time and talking a little more fully, it, it clued me in that there was, there's so much more going on in his life. And isn't that true for all of us? So often what we show and what's really going on are two different things. And so I, I got to hear his heart, both the, the pain and the, and the longing, but also the hope and the love. And my estimation and appreciation for this brother just went through the roof. 
So I would love to see a number of you come to the conference next year, okay? So think about that, plan on that. It's a wonderful time. You can go longer. It's just a few days so you can extend your vacation out on either side. And plus, getting out of New York in February is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. All right, uh, I also really, really want to express my thankfulness and appreciation to Ken for the message that he brought last week. We were able to watch it uh, live stream. We have been tested for COVID, so we are negative. So that's why we're able to be here this Sunday. Otherwise, Ken would be preaching part two to that message. (laughs) Uh, He just hit it out of the park. He really did. He did an excellent job. And I, I don't want to put pressure. He's got a lot of demand on him. Really, he's got a lot of demand, and so I won't be sensitive to that, but I just found myself thinking the church needs to hear from him more. I mean, it's just he's got a wealth to give. So I also really appreciate the message Jeff brought, and I was really, uh, it was amazing to me how uh, both of them, the messages tied in, and I think it's going to tie in as well with where we are going today in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So you can turn to that chapter. We'll come to it in a little bit, but um, Ken encouraged us that we are to counsel one another. We are to speak into one another's lives, and one of the ways the Bible says we are to speak into one another's lives is through correction. Ken actually referenced it with the Lord's correction, but we are to speak correction So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, is giving and receiving correction. And I want you to hold the applause. Uh, Listen, let's be honest. None of us like to give correction. Actually, there are a few people that like to give correction, and they scare me. But most of us don't like to give correction, and and we like receiving correction even less. Am I right? We... Speaking words of correction is awkward. It can be painful. It can even hurt the relationship. So the the question is, why even do it? Why should we even do it? Why not just focus on encouraging each other, comforting each other, pumping each other up with exhortation? And let's just skip the whole correction bit. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And not only this morning, but... uh, But um, this is going to leak into two Sundays. So we're going to be spending two Sundays talking about something that none of us want to do and none of us really even want to talk about. So you're, unless you're watching online, which welcome, good morning, good to have you guys. You you can shut the TV off, but if you're in this room, you cannot leave this room. Okay, but be warned, next Sunday we're going to be talking about it too. So if there's something enjoyable you've been putting off, like getting a root canal, you can make that appointment. Let's pray, let's take a deep breath, and let's jump into our passage this morning. Father, we just thank you for your love to us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for community. We thank you that we are not alone. You have built us into community. And yes, Lord, we thank you that a part of that community does include correction so God I pray that you unfold your word and your heart to us this morning in this time together 
And I pray that it will not scare us, but build us up and envision us for an important aspect of our living life together. And indeed, for how we relate to you when you bring correction to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. That summer I spoke of a little while ago where my dad and I sailed around Long Island. At one point, I was about 12 years old at the time, at one point we decided to sail from Montauk Point, the end of Long Island, the eastern tip, out to Block Island, which is part of Rhode Island. And this was my first experience being on the ocean where at, at, for a large portion of the trip, we could see no land in any direction. We had no visibility of land. And all we could do to hopefully get and hit the island and not sail right past it was to very carefully watch the compass. And so we charted the course and we had the fix, fixings for the compass and then we watched that compass as we steered, hoping we got it right. And every now and then, because of the currents and the winds and the this was a sailboat, by the way. We had to course correct, and we had to, to make sure we were going in the right direction so we didn't sail past Block Island and into oblivion. In chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Paul resumes. He picks up his personal story with the Corinthians. And if you remember with me, the church in Corinth was a very messed up church. They had real problems. They had immorality. They had divisions. They had abuse of spiritual gifts. They had pride. They had drunkenness during communion. They, they were embracing heresy, which is still a bit of an issue going on here. These are just some of the issues that are going on in Corinth. And into all that mess, Paul brings correction. He speaks correction First, in the form of a letter, what we call 1 Corinthians. It's a corrective letter. That correction was not received well at all. Things got awkward. Tensions grew. The relationship was strained. Co correction created conflict. So Paul thought to himself, I'm going to go there in person and we'll talk this out in person. So he goes to Corinth only to make matters worse. He leaves Corinth upset, disappointed, concerned, maybe even a little bit angry. And in that all that emotion, he sits down and he writes another letter, which we do not have. But it's a blistering letter. He calls it a severe letter. And he sends that letter off to Corinth. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. He sends that letter off, and as soon as he sends it, he begins to regret it. He begins to second-guess himself. He's confident that his correction is biblical, that it's right, but did he say the right words? Did he approach it in the right way? How will the Corinthians receive his letter? Will it, will it hurt their relationship? Will it destroy their relationship with a people that he loves so much? Paul cannot see where this thing is going. He's sailing blind. He doesn't know how to resolve it. 
There's no land in sight. And it's eating away at him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you may remember us covering this, but in verses 12 and 13, this is what Paul writes in part of his story. He says this, Now when I went to Troas to preach the Gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. The Lord blesses ministry, opens the door, people getting saved. That's what Paul lives for. But he says, I couldn't stay there. I couldn't focus. My mind had no rest, no peace of mind. And so he leaves Troas in the midst of all this blessing. He goes to Macedonia. He says the reason he didn't have this peace is because he didn't find Troas, uh, Titus in Troas. What is it about Titus that is creating such turmoil in Paul's heart? So distracting him that he has to leave Troas and go to Macedonia. Verse 2 of chapter 7. We're back to what we read Well, we're going to pick up, actually, chapter 7 in verse 2. Paul writes this, Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. Verse 5, listen to this. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. He went to Macedonia to find peace, but he got to Macedonia and they had no rest. Conflict on the outside. Fears pounding away at his heart on the inside. And then relief comes. Verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Now we learn why Paul was so desperate to see Titus. He had sent Titus to Corinth to find out how they had responded to his corrective, blistering letter how are they doing how did they take it and Paul could not rest until he knew but finally Titus shows up and he brings good news to to Paul's heart he says they love you Paul they love you Paul they long to see you again they are sad for what's happened in the relationship they are concerned for how you are doing. And you know what? That is like 
a breath of fresh air that is like that sweeps over Paul with a sigh of relief. All is going to be okay. Paul can see the land. The destination, his correction, was always meant to bring them to, but for a while there, he had no idea if it was going to, how it was going to be received. God met them through all this correction, and the fruit of it was good. The title of the message this morning is called Conflict, Confusion, and Correction. Is it worth the risk? Giving and receiving correction is risky in many, many ways. It may not be received well. We may be saying the right thing in the wrong way. We might be saying the wrong thing in the wrong way. In the middle of tension, in the midst of correction, we don't always know where it's going. We don't always know where the relationship's going. We don't even know where we're going sometimes. Correction can create conflict. Conflict can lead to confusion. And in the midst of that, we don't always see the land. It's not always clear. Is it worth the risk? Why not just say, none of us want to give it. None of us want to receive it. Let's just not do it. Let's just not do it. Well, this morning we'll consider why we need correction, both giving and receiving. And next week we're going to look at how we do it. Because there is a right and there is a wrong way to do it. Why we need correction. And by the way, let me just say this. This week, now we're going to be doing a little bit of an excursus from chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. And next week we're going to anchor back into it. But this morning we're going to use some other scriptures. This is kind of taking this topic and we're going to kind of, kind of leave this as our main text and and do a little bit of other passages. Why do we need correction? Correction in this context means calling someone to change direction. It's course correction. We're getting off. Correction can be over major sin. It can be over something relatively minor. Paul corrected the Corinthians in his first letter about everything from sexual immorality where the correction sounded something like this. Repent! to the mishandling of spiritual gifts where gifts where the correction sounded more like this grow up wouldn't you grow up let's be honest bursting out in tongues at the wrong moment in a service is probably less serious than embracing blasphemy and heresy in that same service so correction can come in all shapes and sizes all degrees of strength from Strong warning to constructive criticism. And we need it all. And I want to share with you four reasons why we need correction, incoming and outgoing, in our lives. The first is this. Correction is an important expression of love. Correction is an important expression of love. Jeff said two weeks ago, he said this. It it stood out to me. He said, love meets us where we are while calling us to something greater. 
That's good. Love meets us where we are while calling us to something greater. Sometimes that call to something greater comes in the form of correction. The Bible says the Lord disciplines or corrects those He loves. I remember very clearly, I was a single man, I was you know, not doing anything horrible, horrible, but I knew my life was getting off. I knew that I was not walking with the Lord closely. I knew that I was, I was just not, I was just messing up in some ways. And I remember very clearly one night sitting in my, my room, looking out the window. It was a dark night. I could see the silhouette of the trees in the field in our backyard. And something hit me. I realized that I was, I was really not walking with the Lord. I was really sinning and just not, not do, living as I should. And I realized there were no bad repercussions. I wasn't experiencing any consequences. And you might think, oh, hallelujah, that's great. No, actually what hit my heart was fear. I thought of this verse, the Lord disciplines everyone He loves. And I thought, I'm sinning, and I'm not experiencing any bad consequences. And I remember looking out that window, summer evening, window up, and praying, Lord, please discipline me. Please discipline me. The last thing we want is to get away with sin. If you're sinning, 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 and nothing's happening, don't, don't think that's a great sign. That's really good. Don't think it means God's okay with it. He disciplines those He loves. Everyone He loves, He disciplines. His children, He disciplines. It's an expression of love. It's an expression of God's love for us. Correction is also an expression of love one to another. Every parent here knows you need to correct your children. You need to correct your children sometimes. It's part of loving them. To not correct your child would not be loving. Correction is one of the ways parents love their children. Correction is also a necessary component to true friendship. Proverbs 27.6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I think another translation says deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. We all tend to like kisses more than wounds. But sometimes it's the enemy that gives the kisses and the friend that inflicts the wounds. The kisses are deceitful because they hide enmity. The wounds are faithful because they express love. The opposite of love isn't hatred. It's indifference. It's indifference. When we see a person heading towards danger, and we don't warn them, we are being indifferent to what happens to them. Correction is an expression of, of love. That's the first reason we need it. The second reason is correction can help someone avoid impending danger and disgrace. Correction can help someone avoid impending danger. Recently, there have been a number of high-profile Christian leaders who have fallen into sin and into scandal. Sin and scandal rarely happen all at once. It's rarely the, uh, the result of one big sinful step. 
It's usually the accumulation of many small steps in the wrong direction. A thousand little steps in the wrong direction. And I can't help but think that if some of these high-profile leaders had faithful friends who loved them enough to bring to risk correcting them in the early days, they might have avoided some of the danger and disgrace their sin inflicted on their reputations, on their families, on their ministry. And I'm sure some of them did have such faithful friends, but they didn't listen. They didn't listen. I I think, you know, listen, this is temptation for all of us, but I think um, high-profile celebrity status has a great temptation to surround yourself with yes men and women. I just think that becomes a... You begin, to, you begin to read your own press clippings. You begin to believe what the press says about you. And I think you want people that say yes, yes, yes. And what happens? What, what is a yes man or a yes woman? It's someone who says yes when inside they're thinking, I should be correcting. I should be giving a warning. I should be saying this doesn't seem right. But they're big, they're powerful, they're high profile, the, everything sits on their shoulders. I'm going to say yes. There should be course correction. Sad story that I'm sure many of you have read about. Rabbi Zacharias says reputation, his family, and his ministry is in tatters. Now because of sexual immorality that only came to light after he passed away. How incredibly sad that he can't even ask those he hurt for forgiveness. Recently the board of his ministry acknowledged that they saw warning lights, warning signs. But they trusted his explanations and his denials more, they said, than they should have. They should. They failed. They admitted. They failed to bring course correction when it might have spared so much disgrace and damage. Correction can help a person avoid impending danger and disgrace. Third, uh, third reason, correction has a unique way of touching our sense of identity. <clears throat> I want you to listen to this, especially if, and you know who you are, and the people who know you know who you are, if you have a really hard time receiving correction. It has a unique way of touching our sense of identity. And this ties in with what Ken was sharing last week. Proverbs 9 is all about the wise and the foolish person. And verse 8 says this, Do not rebuke mockers or the fool, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. In other words, mockers or fools deflect correction. Wise people embrace correction. Doesn't mean they love it. 
in the sense of that it's easy or not painful, but they love the fruit of it. I grew up, as many of us did, with my share of insecurities and my fears. And one of the ways I see now that my insecurities manifested itself was that when I was corrected, particularly under certain circumstances, I would feel incredibly threatened. It would feel like the core of who I am as a person was threatened, was endangered by that correction. And so, I typically reacted defensively. Anybody tracking? Defensively. You know, here's the, the funny thing about defensiveness. You don't know your, you know, Janice would sometimes say to me, you're being defensive. I'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm just being. And I would tell her, you know, these are the right reasons I'm saying this. I'm doing this. Why I was justified to not receive that correction. And often turn it back, sadly, on her and others over the years. <clears throat> but it would, it would get at something in my sense of identity, who I am. And so if, and I'm just going to use this as an illustration, if Janice shared a correction or a criticism, a constructive criticism about how I was leading the kids or how I was caring for her, Here's what I heard from her. She's saying I'm a horrible parent. Or I'm a lousy husband. Throw in this, I'm a horrible person. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm feeling. I'm not putting those into words, but that's what I'm feeling inside. That's what's going on inside. And I'd respond as if my identity depended on refuting and deflecting her correction. And I've been on the receiving end of that as well. Years ago, I sat down with a friend to bring what was really a mild correction, something that happened, and because of their role, it, it created some small things. And I just said, listen, can we, can we get together and talk about this? And uh, when I sat down with them, they were loaded for bear. They were loaded for bear. They were so upset, and they, they just came at me with all these these things wrong with me and wrong with and and it was it was so messy i'm grateful to say we worked through it we love each other we're dear friends to this day but man it got messy for a while and i i in the conversation since then that person thought that mild correction was a threat to their existence a denial of all good that they've ever done and any worth they have as a human being. So if someone corrects us and we feel something rising up within us that feels like our identity is being threatened, we get angry, we feel like we need to fight back, we need to boomerang that correction back on them, maybe even end the relationship. There's a deeper heart reason why we're feeling such a desperate need to deflect that correction. 
Or for some, yeah, that's how some respond. They just, you know, it's like Perry Mason in the, uh, in the uh, you know, we're cross-examining them. You say that I do this. Well, what about when you do that? How about the times you, you know, and so before you know it, they're, they're on the witness stand weeping. But others respond this way. They over-magnify their correction. You bring to them just a, uh, you know, a friend, a spouse says something mild. You know, not mild, but, you know, it's something that, hey, it's contained. It's some, hey, listen, sometimes when I'm talking to you, I feel like you're not listening. I feel like you're not listening. I know my wife could say that sometimes about me. <laughs> and I feel like you're dismissing me when you do that. Okay, there's the correction. Here's the response. Yeah, you're right. I am. I'm a horrible friend, aren't I? I'm a horrible friend. I guess I'm just a terrible person. Probably the worst human being who ever walked on the earth, right? You're right. I'm just horrible. I'm not even going to... You don't even deserve... I, I, I'm not going to be your friend anymore because I'm just... I'm too horrible. What are we doing? That's a deflection of a different kind. We're self-pitying. We, we make it such a self-pity that we want to deflect the correction by getting them to say, no, 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 you're wonderful. I'm sorry I said anything. Remember this, when someone's talking to you, you never are just hearing what they're saying. I'm never hearing just what person's saying. It is going through a filter of life experiences, of insecurities, of, of interpretations, and it comes out through all that, and that's why when someone says, boy, I feel like the dinner you cooked is a little salty, we hear it as, you should get the death sentence. You don't deserve to live. We filter what people say. Don't ever think you're just hearing the words. I mean, we not. I know this. By the way, I'm an expert on all this, but not because of my successes, because of my messes. <laughs> uh, this is an area God has been and is working and needs to continue to work in my life. But it's worth the work. As Ken so eloquently shared last week, our identity, we need to remember what our identity is rooted in. It is rooted firmly in Christ. You know that. Who you are as a person. How, how do you root your identity? What do you root it in? Why you exist? What the meaning of your life is? What the purpose is? Is it even worth living? Are you accomplishing any? You know what the root of that needs to go into? Only one thing. Christ. Christ. And what He's done for us. On the cross. Our identity is not rooted in being right all the time or doing everything perfectly or never failing or always having it all together. In fact, you know what the cross speaks over our lives? That we are sinners. And we are sinful. And we aren't perfect. And we don't get it right all the time. In fact, the Bible says we don't get it right any of the time. There are none that are righteous. No, not one. And we don't have it all together. The cross criticizes you and me far more than any human being could ever criticize us. But it doesn't stop there. 
the cross also speaks more eloquently than anything ever could of how much God values you and loves you and how much your life is worth in His eyes. How precious are you that He would give His Son. He would give the best of heaven for your soul. He wants you that much. Our identity is rooted in Christ. And the cross says God loves us that much, not apart from our flaws, but with our flaws, with our weaknesses, with our sins, with our quirks, with all the, the nonsense that is who we are. God loves us just the way we are. I mean, He loves us enough to try to move us on, but He loves us just the way we are. So, folks, especially if you're one of those that you know, it just let's take a deep breath. And let's admit, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. In fact, we're a mess in many ways. Messy grace. But wow. Christ is my identity. So when someone brings us correction, let's listen. Let's try to really listen humbly. They may be right. They may be wrong. But we're going to do a far better job assessing if we come with a humble heart and our identity is rooted not in being right, but being in Christ. My last point this morning is correction helps us to improve. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Discipline and correction send us on a, in a life trajectory of growth, of knowledge, of improvement, Sometimes correction is not about sin. I mean, I don't want us to think uh, that the only time we are to bring correction or can bring correction is when it's a life-threatening sin. Sometimes, sometimes correction is about improvement. It's about doing things better. How can we do what we're doing better? How can we... Constructive criticism will probably help you grow more than compliments ever will nicer to hear compliments but I've grown more from constructive criticism and believe me I hate it but I love it but I hate it consider the Navy pilots we know as the Blue Angel team these pilots fly 500 tons of fighter jets three feet from each other going 500 miles an hour upside down three feet 500 miles an hour upside down only the best of the best make it as a blue angel pilot after every mission they fly they have what they call the debrief where every issue every flaw every mistake Every emotional event that took place in that mission is talked about and analyzed in order to learn and to improve. And in the debrief room, any pilot can point out any mistake of any other flyer regardless of rank or status. And after one of those pilots has had some area 
of mistake or where they could improve pointed out to them, every pilot responds this way. Just glad to be in the room, sir. They know the privilege of being on that team. They know the privilege of being in that room. And they know the importance of continually seeking to improve what they do. Just glad to be in the room, sir. Paul corrected the Corinthian church, but he never lost sight of the destination. We're going to talk a little more about that next week. But their growth, their good, their increased fruitfulness, their flourishing, and their betterment as a church. That's the goal of correction. If we want to improve, we need correction. If we want our lives to grow in fruitfulness and godliness, we need correction. If we want to avoid danger, we need correction. If we want to love others well, we need to give correction at times. We need to take the risk. May we, brothers and sisters, learn to receive correction and risk giving correction with an attitude that says, just glad to be in the room, sir. Just glad to be in Christ, sir. Just glad to be in the kingdom of God, sir. Just glad to be a part of the family of God, sir. Just glad to be a part of a community of believers that love me enough to correct me when needed, sir. Next week, we're going to talk about how we do that. How do we bring, how do we receive correction? Because there is a right way and there is a wrong way to give correction. So I want to, as we end this morning, I just want to say this. If, you're, if, you, if you've got like all this correction that's been like, You've been stuffing, you know? You've been just stuffing it, and now you are so inspired to unload. You just can't wait for this message to end. You've got that person on speed dial if they're here, you know? If it's me, you're going to come running down the aisle. Um, can I just encourage you to wait? You might want to wait till next Sunday, because we're going to talk about how we do it and how we don't want to do it. Um, because trust me, there is a wrong way to do it. There is a right way to do it by the grace of God. So we're going to talk about that next Sunday, unless you schedule a root canal for that time. <laughs> so let's pray and ask God's blessing on our hearts this morning. God, we do thank you. We thank you, Lord, that it's not all easy we thank You. You love us enough, Lord. Your Word is not just a book full of compliments and encouragements. It brings deeper correction and criticism of us than we would ever bring of ourselves. But oh, it's done with such love and such costly care. Lord, help us this morning to embrace correction and help us to have the courage that when it's needed to lovingly, wisely risk 
giving correction. But the goal, Lord, help us to always remember the goal. It's for the person's good. And use correction in our lives for our good. So God, help us to be the wise person who loves correction, who loves knowledge, who grows from it. And Lord, we thank you so much. Let's just pause and thank you, Lord, that our identity, who we are, it's not in our image. It's not in our achievements. It's not in how good we do things or how bad we do things. It's not in any of the things that we so often turn to as like markers of success or meaning or purpose. Our greatest identity is deeply rooted in the love of God, in the love of Christ, that we belong to you. Our deepest identity isn't with what we do, it's who we are, and who we are is all because of the work of Christ. We are your sons and daughters, precious in your sight. So, Father, I want to pray specifically for that person who really struggles with correction. They feel threatened. They feel their whole being threatened. I can relate to them. And I pray that you help them to redirect, reroute their identity, not in never being corrected, never being wrong, never being criticized, but in Christ. Help them to secure their heart their soul, their emotions in the love of Christ. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. It's so good to be back and see your smiling faces. Love you guys watching online. Have a great week in the Lord.